0: My name is Lucas, and I'm an alcoholic. Um, I'm truly blessed to be here this evening. Uh, I'm sitting outside waiting for a fellow who's picking me up, and we're heading to another meeting uh, that I've been going to since I pretty much moved down here. And has really helped keep me sober. Uh, And that means even more this week, because on Tuesday, I celebrated one year, which is baffling to be perfectly honest. Um, I've been doing some reflecting and I think it's the longest that I've been sober in a very, very long time. And it's just like a new, a new frontier and it's a little scary, but, uh, as, a uh, the guy who secretaries my Wednesday men's meeting says frequently, it's about getting comfortable being uncomfortable. Um, but yeah, I I drank and I used drugs because I didn't like my mundane reality. I didn't like the world. I thought it was boring. I thought it was stale. I thought it was hollow. I thought it was empty. I thought there was so much more, and I wanted to see it. I wanted to experience it. Really, I wanted to escape it. Uh, I had everything I needed as a kid, but I didn't necessarily have everything I wanted. Um, Like I was materially provided for. My whole world was like, yeah, I have enough food. I have a place to sleep. I've got a good education, yada, 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 yada. I've got clothes on my back, but there was not a lot of emotional growth happening as a kid. Um, Parents divorcing, dad's a rageaholic. Mom has a lot of mental health issues and couldn't like be an emotional anchor for me at some point I just sort of wanted to escape it uh, because there was a lot of feelings of having to fix everything. Cause I'd shown from a young age that, Oh yeah, I, I can do pretty well in school. I, I, I'm pretty talented in this area or that. So why can't I bear the weight of my entire family on my shoulders? And at some point it just became too much. And I found alcohol. And it gave me that warm feeling that I was just okay um, and then I found drugs um, and I really found like my piece of cake I found the way the my concoctions like my the perfect way to get out of my mind and get out of my body and get away from how I felt in the world that I was so uncomfortable being in but that's no way to live. And it surely didn't get me anywhere except, you know, pretty close to a 5150. (laughs) So, um, yeah, I gotten an underage, I got an underage DUI and I started to see that my actions really do have consequences. And I was kind of scared sober. And then I showed up to AA and I had this, just before Getting my DUI, I uh, had what I can now say was a spiritual experience, and I began to to pray. I remember sitting in jail and being frustrated that I wouldn't be able to wake up and do my morning prayer in my room. And I wasn't calling it praying at the time, but I was starting to form this habit and try and connect to something bigger than myself. but zooming forward like a week or so, uh, I showed up to my first AA meeting and I felt loved. Like I've never felt loved before in my life. I felt the sense of belonging and connection uh, was enough to convince me that this is at least worth a shot. And I, uh, and you know, I was like, yeah, said, all right, I'll do it. I'll work the 12 steps. What harm could it do me? I could work these 12 steps and maybe they'll, uh, Maybe they'll work. And if they don't work, then, um, you know, I'll just go do whatever I want to do. But um, it did work. That's the miracle of it. And I have a life today that I don't want to give up. And I still have issues with my reality, with the world. I'm still uncomfortable with it with facing it. But... I practice in Buddhism for the most part, like my primary spiritual practice aside from AA as a spiritual practice. And uh, they put it very nicely that the closest you can come to knowing God is knowing God's creation, which is the world, which is my reality. You know, if God really is everything and beyond this world and this ineffable, incredible thing that is capable of anything and everything then you know i'm not gonna find god in a fork but at the same time i can look at that fork and see like oh this is a part of god god created this i am in this world that is comprised of little bits of god i like to think about it when i'm trying to make a song i'm creating something every little element and sound like has a purpose and it has a little bit of me infused in it. And so these days I try and look at my reality, my life, my world as being infused with little pieces of God. And I just choose to call my higher power. God, I could call it a lot of things. There's a, a lot of different spiritual ideologies that I subscribe to in part. But God helps me relate to other people. And it's also important because I used to have a big resentment towards God, or at least towards like the word God, which is strange to think about. This idea that I formed of this thing that I can't see, can't touch, can't feel, can't hear... Created such a resentment inside of me that a, a arbitrary three-letter word caused me to like shrivel up and feel attacked. Ah. Uh, so now I just try to think of it. It's just a word. It's a placeholder, because I can't describe this higher power that helps. I can't describe this presence that like I felt enter my life and that I constantly seek and devote myself to every single day, but it's there. I know it in, in my heart and my soul and my bones, I feel it. And so I don't need proof and I'm not going to let, you know, any sort of contempt or, you know, fears or traumas keep me from expanding and growing spiritually, because in just a year, I've turned my life around in such a fantastic way. Like, I did not think, so if I can continue to enlarge that spirituality, I can continue to grow, God, who knows where I'm going to be in two years, five years, 10 years. And I guess I'll just end by saying it's been a gift to be sober for a year. I didn't know how much I needed this and how much I wanted it. Uh, And just by just pushing through and saying, I'll drink tomorrow. Let me hit the pillow sober. Let me deal with this tomorrow has helped me get through a lot of crap. And has, you know, kept my life together, has rebuilt my life and rebuilt my relationships. And so I'm incredibly grateful to AA. Much love for all of you who are part of my journey to you, your higher powers. Uh, I pray that you get through whatever you're going through. And uh, thank you for letting me speak.
1: Hi, I'm Erin. I'm an alcoholic. My sobriety date is 2-12-10 and uh, thank you so much Lucas for your share. I appreciate you being here today. Thank you Laura and David for having me at your wonderful meeting. Uh, it's such an honor honestly to be a participant and a member of AA. I absolutely love this program with everything that I've got and uh, there are some serious reasons of why. <laughs> Uh, so a little bit about myself, um, so I'd like to start off with just, I, I'm weird. I am, I'm just one of those very strange, weird people. I don't follow the mold. I don't follow what, uh, everybody usually says in the meetings. I do I didn't go to meetings for the first four years of my sobriety. I didn't know I was an alcoholic until about two years sober. Uh, I, when I did the steps of AA, I didn't know I was actually doing any kind of program called AA. I didn't know what AA was. Uh, I'm just, I don't know what this 90 and 90 is. I've (laughs) never participated in anything like that. I'm a strange one. I'm really off the wall and very, (laughs) I like to think I'm, you know, eternally unique, just like the rest of you. Right. Definitely. (laughs) But, um, but I'm sneaky. I am so sneaky. And the way that uh, I was able to avoid all of that wonderful um, initiation into AA and all of that jazz is, it's just pure denial. I just, I really had no idea that I had a drinking problem. So, you know, because, well, I was, I was brought up not around alcohol at all. You know, if any of you have heard my husband's story, he's uh, 30 years sober. Uh, Tom R is amazing, and uh, and he grew up, you know, in a war zone or alcohol in the baby bottle type of thing, and all of that. You know, and I just, you know, I hear stories like that, and I'm like, God, how did I get here? How did how did that happen? You know, you know, I get why some people drink. I didn't have that excuse. I really didn't I was brought up in a very loving uh Southern Baptist home that uh you know looked down on people that drank even even just a glass of wine for goodness sakes you know they they pointed out in the Bible how uh the first thing that Noah did after after the ark was uh make grapes so he could make wine and got drunk. <laughs> right? So, so I was brought up with the, with the essence and the understanding that alcohol was a bad thing. It was a really bad thing. So we don't do that kind of thing. We don't drink, you know, we're not, we're not drunks. And I always understood, I never, I was never brought up with the idea that you could have a glass of wine with dinner. You know, what is this drinking like a gentleman thing? You know, even before I even knew anything about drinking, it was already given me the idea as a child that drinking was always drinking in excess. And and that's what it does to you. It's a bad thing. So I never understood it. I was always told to stay away from it. And I did, you know, I was brought up like, a, I like to call myself a goody little two shoes, right? It was one of those little brats that did all the rules properly, like I was told to do. I did everything right uh, to the best of my ability. I was told to live this life a certain way so that I could be happy. And I gave it my best shot. I really did. Uh, I, I built churches down in Mexico. You know, I went to chapel. Uh, I went to a private Christian high school where, you know, we had to be in uniform and and play dress up and (laughs) and all of that jazz to this day I cannot stand nylons I tell you what I just I can't do it (laughs) but um but I really gave that life a good honest try you know I did everything I could to make my parents proud and and I remember one time when I was a kid uh I was throwing one of my normal temper tantrums, you know, at probably 12 years old instead of, you know, a two-year-old temper tantrum at 12 years old. Right. And my mother looked at me and said, why can't you just be happy? You know, and this is coming from a woman that usually carried around the wooden spoon, kept her children in line, made sure that they didn't throw a fit, you know, to embarrass her in the grocery store and things like that. And, and, or she'd give, you know, that normal thread I'm sure we've heard before. I'll give you something to cry about. And I'd be like, I'm already crying. What other reason do you need? <laughs> but this time she said, why can't you just be happy? And that stopped me in my tracks. Quite literally stopped me in my tracks. Because I could not come up with an answer. Because in my heart of hearts, I knew that even if I got what I wanted, whatever I was throwing a fit about, I don't know. I I don't care. I'm sure it was material things of this, you know, worldly thing. Um, I knew that it it didn't actually wasn't going to make me happy, like honestly happy. And I knew that whatever happened, you know, tomorrow to irritate me and make me restless, irritable and discontent, because that's just how I came, wasn't going to make me happy. And I didn't have an answer. I didn't know how to answer her. And that, that was surprising to me because I, I did everything I was told to do. I followed the rules of life, that I was told what life needed to be like in order for me to be happy. And I wasn't happy. You know, I didn't know that it was incessant self-centeredness of me wanting what I wanted it, how I wanted it, and when I wanted it to the extreme. That. I I just completely missed, you know, my logic, my denial, (laughs) completely went right over my head that I didn't know that that's that was what was going on. So, like I said, I did the best I could with what I had and it, it really wasn't much. I was brought up under a rock, you know, homeschooled you know, brought up in a private Christian high school, uh, graduated the class of 23 kids. Uh, I wasn't the popular kid. Obviously I was voted the most bashful in high school, <laughs> my high school yearbook. Who's the most bashful there's Aaron hiding behind a bush. <laughs> you know? Um, so I already didn't have like this social connection. I didn't know how to connect with other people. I was shy. Um, I, I was doing what I was told to do, i tried to follow what I was taught, and I just, I just had this toolkit that just did not work, it did not work, and I did the best I could with it, and it, it seemed to have failed me miserably, <laughs> so, uh, I, I got to college, you know, I did the college thing, and, um, and then, I, I got married, you know, because I was told that I couldn't, I couldn't get married or, or to be honest, this is, this is, this is insanity, right? This is how my insane thoughts were thinking. I couldn't have sex until I was married. I did actually quite literally, how many of us composed this? I swear. Um, was a virgin when I got married, granted, I got married at, at, as soon as I could legally get married, right? To the first guy that would marry me. <laughs> so I did the right thing. I followed the rules. I waited till I was 18, right? But did I do it for the right reasons? No, <laughs> I did it for self-centered reasons. I did it because I wanted to do what I wanted, however I wanted it. And I tried to use the rules in my favor to get what I wanted. That's still insanity. <laughs> and I didn't drink until I was 21 again, I followed the rules and, and I didn't drink until I was 21. Uh, my 21st birthday was again, insanity. I had, and and I've heard of, again, this is, this is how different and how weird I am. Right. I've heard other people's stories. Well, they tried it a little and then they kind of worked their way up into drinking and stuff like that. Not me. No, you know, I waited twenty-one years from relief from my selfishness, self-centeredness, my you know, um restless, irritable and discontentness that I had in my heart already. I waited twenty-one years as a dry drunk. So on my twenty-first birthday, I had a margarita, another margarita, another margarita, <laughs> and then and then two beers, and then I don't remember anything after that. <laughs> Uh, I may have drinking more. I don't know. I wasn't exactly there for it. I do remember some projectile vomiting my uh, my then husband uh, carrying me around. Um, and I remember the hangover afterward, definitely. <laughs> uh, but what was interesting was that all of the all of that pent up insanity, trying to live life by the rules, feeling like I'm living in a box that doesn't fit me. And, and under the pressures and the guise of, you know, what the world thinks about me and how I can live up to all fell away. When I drank instantly, instantly happened for me. Not only that, but the next day, even with a hangover and not being, you know, technically intoxicated anymore, everybody thought it was cute. Oh look, her first drunk. Oh, isn't that sweet? Oh wow, how how sweet she is. Everybody thought it was so cute. And they thought it was great. So why wouldn't I do it again? Of course I would. It was amazing. It was life finally started. Life finally felt like to be in my in in what I wanted it to be, in my direction. Instead of trying to fit in everybody else's rules. I finally got to not care anymore. Oh my goodness. It was wonderful. And so I dove in drinking, you know, I tried maybe a little bit on just the binge drinking on the weekends and maybe only heavy drinking during the week. But I must say like my career, my drinking career started off on, on the deep end. Definitely. I just jumped in head first and went for it. And, um, Needless to say, you know, I may have enjoyed it, but those around me probably didn't quite think it was very cute anymore. <laughs> you know, it was, and I, I threw up a lot. I definitely threw up a lot. And uh, I, I definitely did not have a single drinking moment where I did not blackout. So I did a lot of things during my blackouts that I don't remember. But I'm pretty sure other people that were with me remember, and that's why they don't hang out with me anymore. (laughs) So, uh, but I didn't care, right? I had my alcohol. I had the relief finally, and and I was ecstatic about that. And so I just enjoyed doing that as much as I possibly could. And a lot of what the book talks about is how much it was, you know, fun in the beginning, right? And then I had fun with problems. And and that is exactly what happened to me, right? I started having fun with problems. I started making that poor ex-husband, right? Life a living hell. He got in the way of my drinking. He didn't like how much I drink. He didn't like the people I was hanging out with. And uh, he got in my way, you know, and I broke a lot of dishes at him, quite literally. <laughs> I was not a pleasant person to be around when you got in the way of what I wanted to do. I completely turned. I I used to be this bashful, quiet person that was afraid to, you know, upset anybody. To I don't care what you think. I will do what I want, and you are getting out of my way, even if I have to physically hurt you. Um, kind of a one eighty, but I was enjoying myself, so I did it anyway. (laughs) So I got into um. Basically destroying that poor guy's life. Uh, I told him that if he didn't give me a divorce, that I would make his life a living hell. And I meant it. Uh, when I had to prove to him that I, I meant it, he finally agreed and uh, gave me that divorce that I wanted. And uh, I was I was free. I was now free. And I got to run around the uh, mostly California. Uh, some of Arizona, some, you know, Some excursions in Florida and stuff all over the place. Anyway, I started running around and just doing what I wanted, however I wanted to do it. And uh, lo and behold, I couldn't hold a job. You know, drinking a little too much, maybe you know, slutting around a little too much. Uh, You know, those those wonderful times when you come to in a situation and go, "Oh, did I just do that? Ooh." Didn't, didn't actually want to come to that one. Um, you know, those, I think the book calls them incomprehensible demoralizations. Yes, I know those all too well. Uh, and uh, I don't recall ever just like waking up, you know? It was always the come to moments that were so terrifying, absolutely terrifying. Uh, what in particular I, I, I find actually rather entertaining now uh, was when I was running full sprint. So if any of you have ever come to ever had that experience, uh, you're doing something right. But to come to and just stop what you're doing was never something I ever did. It was always like, well, I'm already doing this, so I might as well just keep doing it. Right. So I'm, I'm in a full sprint coming to in a full sprint to a chain link fence like getting ready to jump a chain link fence. And I'm like, okay, this is what I'm doing. Jumping a chain link fence. Don't know why. Jump this chain link fence. And as I fall over on the other side, I see two cops chasing after me. (laughs) Where I was the night before, I don't recall. Uh, But anyway, caught my feet footing on the other side of the fence, kept booking it down the hill, lost those two cops. And I continue with my partying, right? So, that, that's the kind of fun adventures that I was doing, definitely. Yeah, I've never been arrested either. So that's one of those other weird things, you know, that I can put into my, I haven't yet, uh, catalog. <laughs> so these are the kind of the things I was running around and doing, all kinds of weird stuff, you know. And um kept changing where I was living. I, I did those geographical cures it's not that I was necessarily trying to run or change my drinking, because, again, drinking wasn't my problem. It was my solution. Uh, what I was changing was my environment. Right. I, I burned all the bridges that I've been with, you know, got fired from that job again. My friends don't want to talk to me anymore because maybe I slept with their boyfriends. I don't know. I don't remember, but they're mad at me. And I probably don't want to ask why, because they'll be even more mad at me. Um, because I've experienced that as well. Uh, So I'd leave and I'd go somewhere else and try again. And it just rinse and repeat. And that's what happened. And found myself uh, finally in the state of Washington with somebody who uh, was extremely into uh, drinking and other substances as well. Ran that into the ground. Uh, It was turmoilous. Or term termulous. I don't think I'm using the right word, but it was crazy. It was all kinds of nuts, and and I'd finally found a job that would actually keep me on. And the the reason why the job would keep me on is because they figured out that if they got me drunk during the lunch hour, that they could uh, sexually abuse me the rest of the day. And so that was the only job I could hold. It was a job that I was getting sexually abused at and uh and I would keep up my drinking right and every day that I always that I got back up from whatever day that I just came to from I had that deep just self-hate and it had compounded more and more You know, so that unhappiness I had as a child was really still there. I had never actually fully escaped it. And I didn't know how. The only way that I was able to escape it was with alcohol. And it was only temporary. But every time I came back to that unhappiness was even deeper and heavier and more grotesque than it was the day before. So it kept getting heavier and deeper every time, every day. I like to call it a black hole. I've heard it in meetings before where people said, you know, I had that big God-sized hole. The air went right through. You know, the breeze could go right through it. And you know, I, I wish I felt like that. If only I felt just empty. Because it wasn't emptiness that I felt. Scientifically, a black hole is a collapsed star where the gravity is so deep and so heavy that it takes the light out around it. That's why when we see it through a telescope, it looks literally like a black hole in the universe. And that's how I felt. I felt heavy and falling in on myself to the point that I couldn't breathe. And I didn't know what to do about it. And the only relief that I could find was alcohol. Just for twenty minutes a day, if I could just get my drink, that I would feel better. And then I'd black out. And I would remember what else happened. So for about twenty minutes a day I would get some relief and that's it. And that's what I lived for. You know, we say that alcohol it kills us. And yeah, maybe it was. It was slowly probably killing me. But if I didn't have alcohol, I would have killed myself a lot sooner. You know, I got to the point where, no, it wasn't fun anymore. I didn't have fun with problems anymore. All it was was problems. And I lived one day at a time for alcohol. And where it had led me was, was that black hole feeling. And I had taken glass shards of glass to my wrists to try to learn how to bleed out so that it would look like an accident. Because I wasn't about to tell anybody, you know, how miserable I was. I wasn't about to tell anybody about the screaming that was going on in my head, telling me how much of a failure I was, how much I sucked at life. How much I didn't belong here. Nobody likes you anyway. You're worthless. You you know, just kill yourself. Go ahead and just kill yourself. Nobody's going to miss you anyway. Stop all the pain and just do it. You know, I didn't tell anybody this stuff because I didn't want them to think that I was crazy. Because I was arguing with these voices, right? (laughs) I didn't want them to think that I was nuts or anything. I knew I was crazy. I knew that the only relief that I got was from alcohol. And if you left me on my own, on my own devices without any substance in me whatsoever, I was suicidal. So I didn't know what to turn to. I already tried religion. It didn't work for me. Right. So don't talk to me about God. I don't want to hear it. I don't want to be a part of it. Right. Just leave me with my bottle and leave me alone. And, uh, And I didn't know anything about AA. So I didn't know how to look for help. I had too much pride to ask for help. And the hand of AA found me. Thank God that there are people in this program that take it out into the world. Thank God there's people in this wonderful program that are willing to share this amazing way of life to those out in the streets instead of just staying in the meetings because I wouldn't have found you. I wouldn't have known to come here to look. Those newcomers that are here, that are here that are finally going, okay, I need a meeting. I need to I need to do something different. Congratulations to you, seriously, because you're a lot farther along than I was in the very beginning. AA found me in a bar. <laughs> Go figure. Where are you going to find an alcoholic? You're going to find him in a bar. (laughs) So I. Somebody came up to me in a bar because that's that's where I hung out at. Right. And uh, told me that there was a better way to live. Told me about the screaming that was going on in my head. So I didn't tell anything about that to anybody. I was like, how did you know? He's like, because I had that screaming, too. And, and I could tell you how I got rid of it. And I was like, yes, yes, that's what I want. I need this thing appear to be quiet because it won't stop. I couldn't sleep at night. I was literally waking up in my dreams, screaming back at these voices for goodness sakes. This is how insane it was getting. And I wanted what he had. Sanity. That's all I wanted was just some peace and sanity, for goodness sakes. So he told me, hey, why don't you just write down whatever you're pissed off at in a notebook? And I was like, I could do that. That, that sounds easy. Definitely. I've got lots of things I'm pissed off at. He's like, good, good. Why don't you just write that down? Just write it all down. And I want you to talk to me about it. Because I'm pretty sure everything that you've written down, I've dealt with before, too. He's like, how else would I know about the screaming in your head? If I hadn't already dealt with it once before. And I was like, you're absolutely right. I trust you. Then I'll do this. And that was my first inventory. I was already working step four. And had no idea. That's what I was doing. So I started to work my step four. And I started to write out an inventory. Of everything I was pissed off at. And I was told to write an inventory. Of everything I was afraid of. And then. And then I was told to write. You know, a whole bunch of things about, you know, who I was probably an asshole to. Which was a longer and harder list. I didn't really want to write that list. But if I wanted to be free, is what I was told. If I wanted to be free, these are the lists. These are the, you know, the journals that I need to write and share. So I did. I did that. And, um, and he was, and he told me about how every situation that I had written down, everything that I was pissed off that, everything I was afraid of, and everybody that I was an asshole to, how to deal with it, what to do about it. Do I wanna behave like this anymore? Do I really feel like I wanna behave like this anymore? Or can I honestly look at that list and be proud of any of this? I was like, no, no, I can't. He's like, good. And we don't have to ever go back to that again. And for me, that was my first step six and seven. And he taught me how to make amends. And amends doesn't mean to go back to, you know, my drug dealers and tell them I'm sorry or my one night stands and tell them, oh, I'm sorry. I just, you know, used you for one night. (laughs) It wasn't like that at all. Amends means to change. I was told to change, change my behavior. Stop using, letting my body get used like that. Stop using other people like that. Stop maybe dealing with uh, people that probably shouldn't be dealt with. And and I did these things. I started to change my behavior. One of my first amends, before I ever even put down the drink, was to get fired from that job that was sexually abusing me. And the way that I was to get fired from that job was to show up like a proper woman, dressed properly, right? Not not this low cut, you know, tops with a mini skirt or anything like that. But to show up proper and to have my job description next to me. And then to do my job like a legitimate woman would do a job and do it honestly. And any time they ever asked me to do anything outside of doing my job description, I would say, where is that in my job description? And then they, they would have nothing to say, so they'd walk away. And they fired me on December 4th, 24th, Christmas Eve of 2009. So this is two months before I stopped drinking. I was doing the program before I stopped drinking. That's because Tradition 3 states that the only member, membership requirement is the desire to stop. It doesn't say that we have to be stopped to do this program. It's the desire to stop. And that's where I was at. I had a desire to do the right thing. I had a desire to change my behavior. I had the desire and the need and the, and the absolute desperation to be sane. Is what I wanted. And as I worked these steps and I worked with my sponsor, the drink fell from me. Those amazing 10 step promises that say that sanity will have returned and that we've ceased fighting anything and anyone, even alcohol. Those things happened for me. And he even says this is a miracle of it. It's a freaking miracle. I worked these steps and the drink falls from me. I had no desire to drink because I wanted my, my time that I was out of being drunk more than I wanted to be drunk because on my own, before I started working these steps, I was restless, irritable, and discontent. I couldn't stand being in my own skin. And once I started working a program, I wanted to be in my own skin. I wanted to be on this planet. I wanted to know what my head was thinking. I wasn't afraid of it anymore. Because everything it was throwing at me, all that screaming, all that yelling, all that, you know, telling me how much of a piece of crap I was, was starting to go away. Because I was proving it wrong. Every step I took, I proved it wrong. I proved that I was worth it. I proved to myself... That I am worthy of being here. I proved to myself that I am a good person. And I had to prove to myself these things by doing the action, right? I don't come here and just talk about doing AA. I, I live AA and that's the only way I know how to do it is by doing these steps. It's a program of action, not a program of talking. Right. I do love talking about it. That's why I'm really happy to be here. But <laughs> but I wouldn't be a very good example of AA if I didn't live it, right? And I do now and I absolutely love that. You know, and this program works through everything. Absolutely everything. It got me out of being insane. It got me out of that job that was sexually abusing me. I now have a very little legitimate job with a pharmacy, which I'm a manager of. I get paid salary. I'm in charge of people, and they trust me. They trust me with drugs and lots of money. <laughs> that, that's kind of a big deal. <laughs> and, and I get to take care of other people's lives, help them. I helped them through the pandemic. I kept people safe. Through all of that kept their their family safe by by giving them jobs so they could keep a roof over their head have insurance so they could take care of themselves all of these things got to come into play and life doesn't get all you know full of roses and unicorns and rainbows and all of that yes we insist on enjoying life and we do have fun with it but life does still happen Life still gets rough sometimes. Five years ago, we had a house fire. And we when we were at a meeting. We came back and our house was gone. It sucked. It, try wearing your same clothes or the same underwear for three days in a row. That's rough. That is, that's not fun. Uh, Red Cross is amazing. They'll give you a toothbrush. But they don't exactly supply underwear. So I love the Red Cross. Um, but... What was really rough about losing our home and not just being homeless was that we lost a precious family member in that house fire. And that is what killed me. Absolutely. You know, I think this program can turn me inside out. Try living through a death. Death. That is rough. And for all of those that you have, I understand how rough that can be. It is excruciating pain. Absolutely. Absolutely. And there's no way I would have survived a loss like that if it wasn't for Alcoholics Anonymous. Because so I knew exactly what I needed to do. Trust God. Clean house. Help others. And that's what we do here. And it's in that order for a reason. I have to trust my higher power first more than anything. Which now I understand who that higher power is. Well, more or less, right? We I continue to get no longer that same God. God that I thought my parents had when I was growing up. Now that's their God and that's fine. My God is completely different. And I love that. I absolutely love that. It's my own connection to my own higher power, whatever it may be. And yours can be like that too. Absolutely. It's your own definition. You know, in AA, I've learned how we can redefine everything. Because I was taught not exactly the right definitions of everything. I thought sex was love, and that's not true at all. I completely abused that while I was out there. And now I know that love is a completely huge huge word that covers so many other avenues that I can't even begin to explain what love can be. I love all of you, but I certainly don't love all of you the same way that I love my husband, (laughs) right, (laughs) and all kinds of things like that. You get to have a new definition in everything because now I have a new understanding and a new relationship with all of it because of Alcoholics Anonymous. And I'm so, so so grateful for that. And like I was saying, there's no way I would have been able to survive such a loss that we had five years ago if it wasn't for trust God, clean house and help others. And that's exactly what we were able to do the first thing we did was pray and know to trust our higher power. Know that he's there for us and whatever his decisions are on whatever happens in this crazy, crazy thing called life is really out of my hands. And whether I accept it to be good, bad, or indifferent is really up to me. And if I just want to accept whatever God's will is, then I can go along with that. It makes it a whole lot easier. Tell you what, the resistance to change is what's painful. If I resist trying to change, because the only constant is change, the resistance to that is where I find agony. If I can go with the flow, if I can go with whatever God's will is, no matter how crazy it may seem, trust me, I was crazier, so God's will isn't all that much (laughs) crazier. It can be a lot of fun. Absolutely a lot of fun yesterday my husband and I were at the doctors and he was going in for a simple procedure that we thought was going to be an in-out simple thing come to find out not so much and it was almost terrifying the doctor actually was very scared and said I can't do this procedure or I might accidentally kill you and I looked at my husband and I said honey You know, even though this is our, you know, not the plans we were thinking of, you know, this is what we love to do. We love to live on the edge of our seats with God's will and find out what the life adventure is next to come. And you said, you're absolutely right. This is what we're in it for. We're going in to just follow whatever God's will is, you know, and I've only been able to learn that by doing the step work, by being able to do 10 and 11. Because 10, all it is is to continue to do this program i always check myself see where we're at and and report it back to my sponsor make whatever amends i need to make quickly so that i don't take a problem to bed with me and then 11 that helps clear away whatever dirt i have on my side of the street so i can get that clear connection with my higher power so i can even know what god's will even is Because I don't have that screaming anymore. The screaming isn't in my head anymore to get in the way. That still quiet voice that sometimes we call intuition. And that's a beautiful thing. I sleep better now than I ever have in my life. I can sometimes not even feel my pillow when I go to sleep. (laughs) I am not afraid to go to sleep anymore. And I absolutely love that. And this life, like I said, can have its ups and downs. But as long as all of it's still an adventure i'm in i'm in and i'm ready to do whatever's next so that is what i enjoy about this wonderful program and i hope i can share that with you as well and all of that good stuff and uh all i can say really is that uh, do the steps we've got to do the steps or else we're we're not getting anywhere with this thing called life, right? (laughs) Thank you again so much for having me. Um, I absolutely am blessed to be here. And um, again, thank you so much. And you guys have a wonderful evening.